Hey there, podcast listeners. Welcome to Engendered, the show that features stories that explore the systems, practices, and policies that enable gender-based violence and oppression and the solutions to end it. We use gender as a lens to understand power and oppression, teach feminism, and decolonize hearts and minds one story at a time. Engendered is sponsored by Can Do It, spelled K-A-N-D-U-I-T, and I'm your host, Terry Yuan. On this episode of the Engendered Survivor Story Series, our guest is Hunter Maxwell, survivor of childhood domestic violence and child sexual assault. As a child, he witnessed his mother in several abusive relationships, and he himself was sexually abused by an older child in the neighborhood. Hunter speaks with us today about how both of these experiences have shaped him, his relationships, his choices, and what tools he has adopted to build resilience and to begin to heal. Throughout our conversation, we reference signs of abuse, abuser tactics, and upstander tips. Welcome, Hunter. Thank you for joining our show today. Hello. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I want to start with your childhood. Where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in the South. I grew up all over the South throughout um, from Alabama. I like to say through Alabama, from Alabama to North Carolina and everywhere, sideways and in between. Mostly uh, Tennessee and Georgia and Alabama and North Carolina. And did you grow up with both parents? I did not. My dad's in prison on death row. Um, he's serving, um, well, he's obviously serving life, serving a death row sentence um, for a murder, capital murder. When you were growing up, did you have any idea of where your father was? Was your mom honest about that with you? And if so, what point did she tell you? She was, I mean, I knew um, because I was at the trial and things like that, but I didn't, I was actually a character witness. But I didn't really know what had happened until uh, much later, until I was probably about um, t- 12 or so. I actually looked it up on the internet and found out myself at, at boarding school. How old were you when you were in, in the trial? Um, I, I really don't know, maybe like four or something like that. Had you discussed it with your mom as an adult about whether that was a hard decision for her to accept that you were being called as a witness? Uh, my mom, I don't think my mom was actually in my in my life that much at the moment. I think she was actually in Florida at the time. I, I had spent a lot of time with my grandmother, um, who was also actually a survivor of domestic violence, and, and very bad, actually. Um, but uh, I don't think, um, I don't think, I mean, I don't think it was really a choice. I think I was subpoenaed. Do you remember how you felt at all when you were on the stand? Was it scary? I, I wasn't really scared. I would, I would, I was actually, I was actually really just uh, thinking about my dad. I didn't really know why I was there. I just kind of joked with the crowd a little bit and then told them that he was a good person. And I, I don't know, you know, really why they're asking me this, uh, but. You know, I just told them that he was a good guy. He was a very good person. And he was actually also kind of violent as well. Find out years later, uh, he had actually abused my mom from time to time. He had a bad temper. All I remember is just telling them about my dad. And I don't remember being like sad or upset. I didn't really know, probably really know what was going on. So you grew up with your grandmother on your dad's side? On my mom's side. On your mom's side? Yeah. So you grew- at what point did your mom come back into your life? Uh, my mom was in and out of my life. Um, she was she was in Florida, uh, South Florida, for a good bit of the time uh, up until I was about um, probably six or seven, maybe I think. After my uncle had passed away, um, she came up there and then started being in my life more. And there was a custody battle. It was back and forth for a long time, and I just remember like my mom being served and things like that to. You know, for for my grandma to try to win custody and things things like that. But then when I w- was with my mom, there was times she was single. There was times she was in relationships. Um, I would say probably when I lived started living with her full time again, I was eleven. So she won custody. I'm guessing. Yes, yeah, she won. She uh, ended up getting, or she was just granted custody back. I think, or either that, or my grandma just let me let her, me stay with her because she had gotten her stuff together. Can't really remember. I just, I do know, I do know that they were. I had insurance until I was 21, so I don't know if that custody was ever given back all the way. I think it was just I was allowed to live with her. Do you remember how you felt when you made that switch? Um. Yeah. I mean, I loved. Uh, I loved living with my mom. I loved. 
I loved staying with my mom. My mom was much more open for me to do whatever I wanted, uh, to, for me to go outside when I wanted and to choose kind of what I wanted to do and let me listen to the kind of music I wanted to listen to and things like that. So uh, I definitely enjoyed that. My grandma, for a long time, uh, was was one of my best friends. Uh, we don't actually speak right now, but she was for a long time one of my good friends and um, somebody that I really confided in. Um, I, I don't really know. Uh, I think the the main reason. I think I think she's just kind of. Um, I think she's just kind of losing her herself, and I don't. I think that's kind of the reason why we've been driven apart. But um, staying with my mom was definitely something I always wanted. And um, I always asked to, to be with my mom, so it was kind of um, uh, unfortunate that my, my grandma would fight it so much. Um, and she would also tell me things that a kid probably shouldn't hear or be told. And, and me and my mom have had discussions since then, and um, some of those things are just fabricated um, to either just throw dirt on my mom's name or whatever. I don't really know. <laughs> I don't really know that part. So you said earlier that your grandmother was also um, a victim of domestic violence. So was that through your grandfather? No, um, my grandfather wasn't in the picture very long. Um, my mom actually didn't know him uh, more than five minutes until two months before he died. She actually met him, and she actually predicted that, which is odd. And she also predicted his job that he would have, that he would be working at. Waffle House, and he was working at Waffle House, and he did die two weeks later, or two months later, I mean. Um, so very interesting, very weird, um, but no, uh, she was abused by her other um, other husbands, mostly, um, pretty much all of them up until uh, my, my current, what I call grandfather now, um, and they're actually divorced, but they, um, I never, no, I don't think he ever touched her a lot, I don't think he ever hurt her. Uh, not in that way emotionally, but not in that way. Were you a witness to these acts when you not were to young? To my grandmother, no, um, no. By the time they got married, no, they were. She was married to my step grandpa. By the time I can, I was, I was around. And but she, uh, but it definitely played a big role in who she was. And I mean, I grew up in the South, so I mean, I grew up with, you know, switchings and picking your own switch, and you know, being uh, spanked with anything. Uh, that you could get your hands on, brushes and, and things like that, shoes. There was definitely, uh, I don't really look at that as so much domestic violence as it is, it is really, but um, it was a culture thing, so it wasn't abnormal for me to, to for people and kids to go through that around me. And the thing that really got me with that was like, it was really the church that would oftentimes, like we're at church or getting spanked because we're not behaving at church. So that was kind of a little crazy because um, you would think, you know, it's church. Like, you know, why are you beating your kids at church, right? But no, but I definitely did shape my mom, uh, the the beatings that shaped my mom. And there was things that happened to my mom uh, during those times through her stepdads and and uh, also in, in my family. Uh, my uncles, my great uncles, um, they, they both um, molested girls in my family. And um, that's definitely been something that's, uh, I mean, I know about and something I've been learning more and more about uh, how entrenched it really is uh, in our family. But I, I did witness um, some that did, wasn't, uh, wasn't actually our family, but it was my cousin, her dad. Actually, I did witness um, my cousin being molested. I didn't really know. I knew she was like she was naked in the living room. She'd come naked in the living rooms in the morning, and I didn't really know why. Saw some things happening. I thought were kind of weird at night, um, going to like get water out of the kitchen. But I never really put two and two together so much. And then I was actually in that trial as well. Um, and so the uh, I mean I, I saw my mom be abused a couple of times. I saw her get thrown down a staircase. Um, and I tried to stand up for her, and she told me to go back to my room. Um, How old were you when you did that? I was probably about eight or so, maybe seven, seven years old. Were you scared to, to stand up for your mom in that no, way? No, I was just um, just ready to. Um, I took a wiffle ball bat, and I walked out, and I was going to hit the guy with the wiffle ball bat. Um, and we're still actually, we still know the guy. Um, actually, we're friends with him. We both know him, and uh, we we still 
talk to him. I mean, we do actually like him. He's a good guy, but um, that's kind of like the thing too. Like sometimes these these guys or these people are good or like you know de- like people you might want to hang out around or enjoy to be around, but then they have this dark side, right? Where you know they flip and then you know they're very dangerous. And um, you know it, it's definitely the, I, I've seen my mom with black eyes and. And a lot of times these things happened behind closed doors or whatever. But I, I've definitely witnessed it several times. And um, yeah, I mean, it's it's not something that I was around a whole lot. Um, but it is definitely something I've seen and seen the aftermath of. And um, I've, I've seen other women uh, abused. And I've been in, I guess, what they call high-risk situations, I guess, is what they would say, uh, um, for, you know, psychology-wise, high, high risk, higher-risk situations, um, definitely. Uh, and I was actually here in New York um, probably about eight years ago at 17 and uh, hitchhiked to New York from North Carolina. Definitely, uh, even then, was involved in, in different things and, and being pressured to be sexual with men that um, gave me rides or whatever. Um, and was even actually pimped out um, once in um, the fashion district. I never really told anybody that. And that's, um, you know, that's definitely something that's happened. I mean, I didn't really ever think about it so much as child prostitution, but I was a child prostitute at one point in time for just just once. But, um, I mean, not even really necessarily once. That was one time I got money for it. Um, that wasn't the, the only time that it was used, sex was used for an exchange. What happened when I was when I was about ten? I was molested or raped by um, an older teenage boy, about fifteen. You know, from before that moment, I was just only into only into girls and really only wanted to be involved with women. Um, and you know, and I had been around other girls that also had been molested and touched by their stepdads, and um, you know that led to them acting out as well as as kids. Um, you know. That didn't really. I wouldn't say that. That the 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 girls acting out on me. I don't think that affected me as much. But definitely when um, you know the boy uh, did that, I think that affected me. And, and you know I was around. I was around um, you know drag queens and things like that, and would you know play with them, paint my nails or whatever. But um, was never really never looked at boys in, a, in an attractive way. And um, since that had happened. Um, that kind of changed um, some things. I, I'm not necessarily. I, it seems like the more I'm single without women, the more that I, I act out too as well in that way. Um, because that happened, it it definitely opened up a new a new world that was there um, that I participated in. When even when I didn't enjoy it, and a lot of times didn't enjoy it, um, and so that's definitely been a, a challenge. It sounds like you were confused. It's a, obviously adolescence is a very confusing time because of hormones and going through puberty. But then to add what many people would say when you're being sexually assaulted as a child and by people that you consider trustworthy, that can add another layer of confusion emotionally. And so I'm wondering, have you ever sought any professional help to help you explore where all of these emotions are have landed and to sort of bring some clarity to what you've experienced? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've been in psychologists before and things like that. Um, not so much to talk about this stuff. This stuff actually has been pretty much um, oppressed. I mean, there's definitely been uh, people that I've told um, about it, but not really spoke about it publicly or, um, you know, even told really psychiatrists or anybody like that. And my mom doesn't even know. I've told my mom that I've, you know, she's, she's joked about me being gay before, um, just like messing with me. I don't know. I don't know what her motive behind messing with me that way. I eventually snapped at her and was like, look, yes, I've, you know, I'm experienced. I'm experienced sexually. I'm a, my sexual life is not any of your business beyond that. Like, What are your thoughts around different forms of gender expression? Like if you were to be gender fluid or bisexual or whatever term you want to use, are you okay with that? 
You mean like with me or with like for yourself? Society itself. Yeah. Um. Yeah. For me, I mean, I don't know. You know, I don't really know. I mean, I I grew up with I I I grew up in the South, so uh, I grew up in a Christian family, or at least uh, with my grandparents being Christian, uh, Pentecostal even, and so. Um, eventually non-denominational um so i mean it's a very looked down thing uh you know and if i was you know i don't know like my cousins are like some of my cousins are very homophobic and uh, things like that but we already have you know bisexual people they don't actually guess technically they don't know necessarily you know but like i don't know you know it's um uh, it's another one of those things it's another layer of confusion right where um you know you hear you can't you can't be attracted to both there's a there's a um you know one that you lean more towards or whatever but like you know can that necessarily be untrue probably right you know i don't know but a lot of times i mean i i don't feel i'm not happy when i hook up with it with the same sex i'm not I'm, afterwards i regret it every time and not because of what i'm bottling up but just because i don't enjoy it and i don't normally enjoy it really in the moment it's um a complicated topic but you know, it's not something that I, um, I mean, I'm okay with it. I mean, that's who I am. I'm okay with it. But it's not, it, deep down, it's not who I want to be. So it's not um, something I, I really like to explore. I do explore it because, uh, you know, I've been without a girlfriend for like three years or so now at this point. So, you know, there's times I went like two years or so without sex and then, you know, eventually acted out because I'm lonely and you need, you need people. You know, for me, uh, when I when I am with men, I, I do get I do get treated a lot better. They they're very into me much more than you know women are, and so it's a um, it's more of like a universe choosing thing for me at this point. It's like you know it's harder for me to to have what I want. I get this attention over here that that so that happens. I mean, I'm exploring more into like actually just going on dates and things like that to see, you know, I'm just I'm, I'm actually am exploring more into understanding who I am in that level um and my place in that um realm, but I think I think honestly a lot of it is uh, at this point is survival. Um, I, I'm, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to get to a better future, and if that means you know taking a ride, and you know, um, or getting on a on a dating app or something for the opposite sex and and trading for a ride or for you know a shower or something, um, even though I feel that degrades who I am in in, in a bigger sense, I'm willing to do whatever it takes and. And uh, yeah, so I think that that, I think the assault, you know, has made it where more, where that's more of an option for me. Well, it sounds to me like you're in this, like you said, survival situation right now. We'll talk more about your national tour later, but because of you having these very distinct professional goals that you've set for yourself, you're willing to, like you said, make trade-offs to accomplish them, but at the same time, those trade-offs aren't really giving you the space and freedom to really get to know who you are and your own desires and needs. And so I'm wondering, have you had in this time of exploration, have you had any opportunity to develop emotional intimacy with people? Because sexual intimacy doesn't necessarily, it's just one level. And, and one layer and it's hard to really know what your own um, gender expression and you know identity is if you haven't had that multi-layered experience i mean i don't share emotional intimacy with men um not really i don't really share that's what i'm saying i don't really think i'm actually into them i think a lot of times it's just a um survival mechanism or just me wanting to not be lonely um, for other people, yeah, I mean, I've experienced um, emotional intimacy, you know, passing by. Um, but just for instance, the other day, I experienced emotional intimacy with somebody while we talked about, you know, not only the nonprofit that I have, but also um, while we talked about their goals and their aspirations. And so, yeah, I mean, I do live uh, vicariously through um, other people's uh, lives and um, build intimacy through that. It, unfortunately, it's just so temporary. 
Um, and that's a, very difficult for me because every time I, I find somebody to bond like that with, it's a very strong connection, but it oftentimes leads into two different paths. And, um, you know, there's never, um, you know, it's not really about uh, sexuality for me. Uh, it's, it's really, I really just want somebody to, to hold their hand or to, you know, be around them, um, to talk and to have support from them um, and to support them. You know, that's really what I'm actually interested in. And I'm not so much, I'm, I'm trying not to worry anymore. I'm trying just to do whatever, um, just to not worry about tomorrow. And uh, more so just um, take it each each day or each minute by itself and just enjoy the now. Which has always been something that I've known to do since wilderness school, especially because it was a therapeutic wilderness school. And so... Yeah, I want more intimacy on an emotional level. Um, honestly, more than I want sex. I actually don't really care. Like, I've, I've already experienced enough in, in high school and, you know, my um, late teens that I didn't, that don't really care about that so much. Um, I think it's important, you know, obviously. Uh, and I think it gives you relief um, that you can't really get elsewhere. But, you know, that's kind of the only motive for that now is just to have some relief after many years. More so, I want emotional connection and emotional intimacy um, and to bond over things. I want to get back to what you were talking about in terms of the culture aspect of growing up and how there was this pervasive atmosphere of basically violation of usually male adults violating children of both genders. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, yeah, um, absolutely. Um uh, I mean, my um, I had a un- great uncle um, that had passed away. I didn't meet him. Um, he actually um, molested multiple girls in our family, and I'm not sure. I mean, I, I definitely know he was homosexual um, at some point or identified that way um, before he died. He actually died of AIDS um, that he contracted by hitchhiking and was raped I guess or I'm not sure if he was raped or if he just willingly did it but he um, had sex with a truck driver and the truck driver had AIDS and he contracted AIDS and he ended up dying but he but while I mean while he identified as as gay I guess um, he still molested um, my one of my aunt my aunts and um, also my um, I'm not sure if my mom but I know that uh, his brother did so um, and definitely and in, in, in my cousins is my my second cousins as well and so I know uh, you know that happened uh, when it comes to the the men I don't know I imagine not because they're just the way that they are they're they just don't think so I don't, I don't think for them but yeah I mean it's it, it definitely have experienced other children that have gone through it you know and and things like that when these things happened, did the children disclose at the time to the adults in their lives, or did it come up later on that people found out? Um, I really don't know. Um, I really don't know. I mean, with uh, with my cousin uh, having been molested by her dad, um, she disclosed it uh, at some point, or they found out somehow. And then that and was the trial. trial. But he didn't get any pun. I mean, any real punishment. I don't think he even did any jail time. Um, he only got like probation or something and, and still had like half custody or something like that or visits without I mean still had supervised visits are you they have a better relationship now uh-huh um they actually have a good relationship now but does that does that mean that he's acknowledged what he did and I mean I don't know I mean I I'm, I mean she's forgave him I don't know if he's asked for forgiveness or if he even cares to I do know that she's forgave him, you know, and and does love her dad very much, uh, even though what happened happened. What about the rest of the family? How did the rest of the family, when they became aware of these things, how did they respond? My great grandmother's very. Um, she she was also molested by her dad. Or the, found out. So I mean, I don't think they've really. I mean, done much. I mean, or cared that much. I mean, cared maybe, but. Did they believe the children who, like your cousin? I don't know. I don't know if they ever, I don't know. I mean, my cousin, like I said, they went to trial. So uh, whatever happened there, I'm not exactly sure how the trial came to be. Um, I must have just gotten caught at some point, somehow. I don't really know how they got caught. But, um, 
I mean, I think maybe my grandmother actually uh, started to tell tell my aunt about it and was like, hey, like I think something like something suspicious, and I think you need to look into it. And um, so I think you know, yeah, they they were uh, all my great aunts and my aunt and uh, my mom were all sexually assaulted, and um, some of them I guess maybe were family, some of them not. I don't know. I um, mean, some of them were like step family. I mean, I think that there's not been any denial if they stood up and said something, you know, I think that they probably would believe them. I mean, having also experienced the same thing in life. I think there's a lot of uh, PTSD in my family. I think there's a lot of um, a lot of post-traumatic stress and, and I think, um, you know, from, from a lot of different things, from the abuse, physical abuse, and then the sexual abuse. Our family's life has not been easy. Um, and, you know, with all of that added, it's it's been difficult. I don't know so much about like the telling or whatever you know there was never any the the uncles are not the one of the uncles is is still out like still going to thanksgiving you know what i mean um and everybody know i mean everybody talks about him you know everybody talks about he he's still he's still a pervert he still tries to to um he he tried to he snuck into um the room that he was my cousin was staying in uh, she's an adult and he snuck into her room and whipped his junk out trying to get her to be sexual with him even as an adult um so i mean she freaked out and got upset you know and left but there's you know not been any kind of uh, criminal proceedings so there's i'm also hearing from you that even though there's this pervasive culture of victimization there's also a culture of enablement because everybody who's been victimized they're not demanding for accountability they're still inviting these relatives back for thanksgiving and so how does that make you feel knowing that all of these people are vulnerable yourself included but nobody's really standing up for themselves and if they can't stand up for themselves they can't really acknowledge and stand up for you I mean, I don't expect anybody to stand up for me. I'm never the center of attention in any type of way. I mean, you know, I mean, I was the only, I was the oldest great grandchild or whatever. But you know, I mean, I, I, I don't ever expect anybody to stand up for me. They've helped me here and there and let me live with them, you know, on and off. But like I said, I mean, I've been homeless on and off since six and seventeen. So you know, like. Uh, and it was on and off because the wintertime, like, they would, you know, finally, like, beg to see me or whatever. And I'd be like, okay, I'll come see you. It's like, you know, it's going to get cold. I'll just come anyway. But it's been more of, like, an obligation and uh, more of, like, um, I mean, I've been treated more. I mean, I'd be told, I'd be told, if I said this, I'd be told to, it was in my head or whatever. But, I mean, I feel the way I feel for a reason. So, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I never expected there to be anything. I've never, like I said, I've never even told anybody. I never... And told my mom that that had happened. I mean, I only know about them because they are more open and talk about it. It just has been coming to light more and more over the past couple of years. Over the, actually the last year mostly and, and this year. Um, and even a little bit before here and there. One of the uncles died. He wasn't around long enough for, you know, anybody to get up, you know, to stay upset at him or whatever. And uh, I think some of the abuse might have happened to, like, in foster care and things like that. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's not really been any kind of accountability. And I don't really think, like, there's really been much of a try, like, to, to hold anybody accountable. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, if you call it enabling, yeah, I mean, probably enabled to some degree. Um, I just don't know if they ever had any thought of how to fix it, you know, or um, with it happening to everybody down the line, I mean, you know, it's just kind of like, well, I guess this is just a part of life, you know, so you don't really know, you know, that this is considered wrong or whatever. And so, like, you you just kind of accept it, you know. And for me, like, it was friend. It was what I thought was a friend of mine, you know. So I didn't really understand, you know, the depth of what had happened until, you know, many years later when I couldn't really get over it. And so, you know, nobody was held accountable for that, and I never really seeked out. It's when I seek, I'm supposed to be a very strong person in my family. I'm one of the only uh, men. There's not very many men. 
And so, um, you know, I, I'm just kind of like, if I complain or say anything, I'm kind of just like being a baby or like, you know, just making it up. It's in my head or whatever. So, yeah, I mean, I don't really get a big chance to discuss this kind of stuff. I mean, if I did, it would just be, you know, it would be odd. Um, and why would it be? Am I trying to get attention? Like, it would just be like treated like that. Well, you're talking about it now. Is it helpful? It's helpful, yeah. I mean, I'm kind of more thinking about when it, like, releases. Um, probably won't, like, spread it around. I'm not going to probably share it much of myself. But, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I guess it's nice in some ways to get it off my chest. It's, uh, I don't really know how to feel about it, you know. It's not, like, it's not something, uh, I mean, I hate that. It just makes me wonder, like, like, if this is in my, like, family, like, it's been in, like, all my bloodline, like, you know, that that worries me more so than anything. Well, I want to address that because I know you haven't had the opportunity to listen to as many of our episodes as, as you would like before this interview, but one of the th- things that we try to communicate to our listeners and part of the purpose of this podcast, our tagline is... We explore systems, practices, and policies that enable gender-based violence and oppression and the solutions to end it. We tell these stories to decolonize our hearts and minds by teaching feminism. And so part of what you're sharing with us today is a result of these are symptoms of patriarchal oppression, where boys and men are socialized to behave in a certain way to get status, to be powerful, to be defined as strong, as you were saying. And those are all patriarchal values, not feminist values. And within feminist values, which is rooted in equality and justice, everybody expressing themselves is a sign of strength, no matter what you're sharing, whether it's vulnerability or fear or you know human qualities. And it's about that human connection and so these things that you've experienced, that you've shared about your family history, it's actually pervasive in all of society. And certain cultures have structures to uphold them. So like you were talking about Pentecostal, you know, Christian faith and community there. Religion is one form that patriarchy uses, one tool to keep people under their control and you know, adopt a certain set of beliefs and behaviors. Yeah. And that's actually how it it shames people into not disclosing when they're these bad things that are happening to them. And so I want to say this, even though this is really not <laughs> appropriate part of the interview, probably, because so much of what we have discussed on this show is about exposing these structures so that people recognize that what they're experiencing isn't personal, it's structural. And how are we able to change unless we recognize the structural ways in which these sets of behaviors are encouraged and allowed so that we can start taking action? I want to also talk about your mom how what kind of relationship do you have with your mom because you talked about her being in various abusive relationships and you trying to take an active role in protecting her how did she respond to that embarrass her did it she rejects she doesn't she rejects it she's independent she doesn't want any kind of outside help really um we have a good relationship uh it was very rocky for a long time we we didn't actually even see each other for five years from 17 to 21 didn't see each other at all um we talked here and there but we didn't see each other why was that we just we fought we fought and i left home and uh didn't ever want to didn't really want to speak to her so we didn't really see each other she left to go to puerto rico and so i just didn't ever find my way there um and i wasn't really necessarily invited i was in a lot of trouble a lot and i guess i was uh I was just being, um, I don't know, not allowed, I guess, because uh, I was in trouble and just wasn't really somebody that she wanted to have around, I guess. You know, this is a little bit of two-way street. I mean, we didn't really, we didn't really get along, and then, then um, 
we'd see each other and we finally saw each other when I was 21. That's when my code journey started. And then um, after that, uh, we started getting a better relationship. We lived with each other for like five months and then we got a better relationship. I left Puerto Rico and she, um, and she uh, actually left Puerto Rico after a suicide attempt. And then um, she, she left Puerto Rico shortly after me and then moved actually to the same area as me. So we hung out and, and, and got to socialize, not living in the same house. And then um, after that, um, she went to California and I stayed where I was at for a little while longer. And then I went to California where I worked with her and uh, we worked at the same company. We, you know, got a better relationship when we started working at the same company, really, because we learned a different part of each other, you know, we learned uh, how, how we each work and, and things like that and, and, and proved to each other that we, we both, you know, we kind of earned each other's respect by how hard we were working. Then eventually we owned our own business together. Um, well, we actually had technically a second business we owned together because I owned a, she owned a coffee shop when I was younger in the town that this sexual assault happened to me and um, I owned 10% just for like a college incentive or something and then we owned this business together where we were close to 50% partners not not quite but um, pretty close we butted heads a lot and um, really but we didn't have a choice like we had all our money tied up in this investment so we had to had to make it happen, um, and we didn't really have a choice. There was like a couple of times when I was almost just gave her my percentage and just said, "You keep it, I'll leave." We, you know, eventually had talks, and she was just more like, "Well, you know, if you leave, like, what I'm like, you know, how can I really keep it going? Like, you know, I need you, and like, you know, you 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 need me right now. Like, let's just get by this. Let's get past this." And, and so California really helped us get past a lot of these things and then um i left and went on i don't know i went back to north carolina and then i went to tennessee and i stayed in tennessee for the whole year 2018 and then um after that uh we we moved i went back to um well i went to haiti at that point and then uh, went to Florida and then went back to Puerto Rico and we stayed together in the recent time. I uh, just got just got done staying with her for like six uh, six months or so, and um, we butted heads a lot. But then eventually, uh, we talked a lot of things out. And um, you know, I eventually, I'm I'm just not one to not really one to hold my tongue, and uh, she is not all either. But um, it's difficult. I mean, she's still healing from a lot of stuff uh, that happened to her. And, um, you know, she's still, you know, constantly talking about how she's healing from the past and just, um, you know, like, you know, been in that state for quite a while. She was, um, you know, she partied a lot, but like she's pretty much stopped. Like she doesn't even drink now, basically. And we're kind of like the same on that. Like we don't really drink. And we both quit smoking cigarettes. Like we pretty much both kind of are we're walking the same like betterment growth path you know um has your mother ever sought help from domestic violence agencies no. in terms of therapy or or those no. kinds of things no mom would never go to a therapist ever um she would never go to a therapist and she would also never like, i don't think we've ever had food stamps there's times we needed it like she wouldn't even get welfare really at all like even as a single mom, like, with my dad in prison, she probably could have gotten things, and she didn't even try. She was not that type of person. Um, she's very independent. She just grows through herself or something, which I, I don't think it's a great idea necessarily, but it is what it is, and I'm very much similar to that as well. What are some of the ways in which your experience observing her response to her life and her relationships shaped you? I don't know. Uh, that's a good question. Um, like, I, I'd say I say I say like maybe um, her anxiety over her relationships is probably causes me to be a little bit more suspicious of people and things like that. A little bit more um, more cautious, like more not not so much cautious, but more I'll, I'll look into somebody like my partner's phone. I'll just I'll, I'll look into it or whatever. I'll look into everything. Um, I'll, I'll I'll go to the point. 
like honestly where I'll add somebody as a fake profile and talk to them and see if they are willing to cheat. Um, I've done that many times and those are the kind of things like she doesn't do that but like I think like her like some of her anxieties towards relationships has probably shaped shaped me in that way a little bit but um, you know I, I can I can get kind of obsessive and I feel like she can too and I feel like maybe that's part of you know some of those things that maybe shaped me as well um, she like you know can be Cling, cling on to people, and um, you know I can as well. And so I think some of those things uh, maybe have like shaped me are very similar to where she is. Have they impacted your ability to be in healthy relationships at all? Probably, uh, probably so. I mean, you know, it's hard to say when you're the one talking about. You know, it's hard to say. Uh, I'm sure from the outside, yeah. Um, you know, I think, um, I mean, obviously being jealous and things like that or being needy, um, yeah, those definitely impact me. I mean, even on, on Tinder or whatever, I, I send like three messages back to back, you know, like I'll send like, oh, like here's a, you know, a message and then here's another message, you know, um, not because you're not answering, but just because I have a lot to say. And, um, yeah, I mean, I think that's, uh, you know, partly uh so one of those things that yeah affects my relationships i mean i get unmatched or just get no response you know and uh, um you know i i'm not the bottom of the pick you know what i mean so it's like it's kind of a it's kind of weird i mean uh, to me and i it, it must be like these things that i'm doing that i'm you know doing because i'm lonely i just need to talk to somebody but like you can't be that needy you don't get to talk to people if you're that needy. So it's like it's a weird trade-off. You know, you can't you can't need people really. You have to just, you know, in society, it's just the way it's built now. If you're, you seem like you need people, you don't get people. And, um, you know, so you have to be elusive or whatever. Well, I can see how it might be received as something that might be too intimate for such an early stage in a relationship. If you're meeting someone on a dating site, that that's something that builds over time. Yeah, and that's the that's another thing where like being um, you know having been bi curious or whatever, um, you know, from those dating apps to you know straight dating apps or heterosexual dating apps, very different worlds. One's like you know let's meet up, let's talk now, you know let's hang out, let's you know see where things go now. When you have an, an other side where it's heterosexual dating apps, it's like, you know, slow and, and things like that. And I don't have time for slow, you know. What are your thoughts as to why that might be the case, these differences? Um, lack of attention for men, probably. No? If you look online, I think a lot of feminists are very, 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 very vocal about how the worst thing that can happen to a guy if you have a bad date is you just have a bad date. Yeah. The worst thing that can happen to a woman is you can get killed. Oh, yeah, sure. So there's this different dynamic where we're scared and you have to be cautious. Yeah. And so that's the reason. No, that's definitely true. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely true. But I mean, it's not completely true because you could definitely have a psycho killer on one of those apps as well. And it can also be kidnapped and sold into sex slavery as well on those apps. Just much more unlikely. Um and yeah, I, mean, I can understand that as well. As a woman, I'll just tell you, you know, every woman has experienced walking down the street and when you hear footsteps, you look back and when you see it's another woman, you kind of utter a sigh of relief because you feel like you're safe. But if it's a man, then your guard is still on. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how men feel. I don't know. Do you walk down the street and you worry if you hear footsteps? Do you even look back? Yeah. Okay. And if it's a woman, does that also make you feel relieved? Yeah. I mean, if it's a woman or a smaller man, yeah, I mean, definitely. 100%. I mean, and it doesn't, and it has nothing to do with color. Like, either way, like, I don't really care. It's more of like a, a look, like more of like a... How are they dressed, or like what? There, what cues can I see that that they're okay of a person? And yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lot of reasons why. So, as an adult right now, you talk about your desire for intimacy and have relationships. Have you ever had the inclination, or have you ever struggled with some of these other, for lack of a better word, demons that you're 
culture and your family has struggled with? Have you ever felt the need to be responsive by using violence? Not really, no. Um, not a very violent person. I like to handle things with with logic. Um, I mean, I've, I've, yeah. I mean, I was, I was, bu- I was, I'm redheaded, so I was bullied um, for being redheaded a lot of times. You know, growing up, I oftentimes had people trying to fight me and things like that. I always try to de-escalate it with ver- verbally. Um, I mean, I'm not afraid to fight, but I definitely don't enjoy it. I mean, I've I was a I do admit for a sport it's kind of fun, you know. For a sport it's fun, um, and that's more probably like testosterone or whatever. But um, you know, it, it it's not something. Yeah, I don't really resort to it, and definitely don't hit women or anything like that, um, or even thought about it. Um, I've I've um, I think uh, I I threatened my mom like one time. Um, because she was starting to call the cops on me or something, and I told her I'd, I'd burn the house down, um, and she called the cops on me, and, and I was surrounded by, like, six police or something, and rightfully so. Um, and, like, but other than that, I mean, I, I have hit, I did hit one girl when I was, um, like, seven or something like that. Uh, I was in, I guess, second grade or, or third grade, and um, she told me I, I was, we were, dating whatever that means at that age um and uh she said something and i was like i, I guess i threatened her and she said you wouldn't hit me and i was like don't tell me what i won't do and uh she said hit me and i was like okay so i hit her and uh i mean i felt really bad i mean for m- most of my life i felt very bad uh, about that and um I mean, for a very long time i mean it still weighs on me to think about it I, um, I can't no longer, you know, from that moment on, I could no longer say I never hit a woman or hit a girl. Um, and, you know, so that, yeah, I mean, that definitely um, affected me. I, I'm not, like I say, I'm not, that's not even a thought of mine, uh, usually. Like, I mean, only in that case where I was, like, being tempted to do something. Um, I'm I'm very bad about that where, like, you know, not so much anymore, more so, like, I'm, I'm more thinking about consequences now. Um, because I'm more going in the right direction with my life, so I'm just kind of like work really hard to like get out of trouble and to get away from a criminal life, um, you know. So no, it doesn't really come up like at all. But I do sometimes like have these. I do have weird desires sometimes. Like um, like sometimes I like I, I want to punch some people in the face for like some reason. Sometimes I get like this feeling to just want to punch somebody in the face, and I have to like go like lay down or something. Like it's really weird. Um, and it's just like different people like it's not even like because I'm mad at them like sometimes it's just this this like rage I think I think like what I've noticed is like maybe it's when like I haven't eaten or something like that or like you know something um or I haven't drink enough water or something and then I'll eat and I'll be like okay well now I feel so much better I don't know why like and it's weird like I'll I'll, I'll be sitting there like you know having this thought and just you know knowing I'm having this thought and trying not to um think about it or trying to you know figure out why in the world is this even in my mind right now you know and what I found like talking to other people um is sometimes that some of those things are somewhat normal um you just sometimes have like these like weird feelings and 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 I think like I, I know I've taught in Puerto Rico I talked to these girls and uh, we were hanging out I was at the at this hostel for like a month and um, was hanging out with really all the women. I don't really like to hang around myself with dudes uh, for the most part. Um, and so, you know, uh, we were hanging out with these girls, and, and or I was, and, and I was at this, um, I was at this, uh, the swim hall, and we were just sitting there talking, and um, one of them was like, one of them was just really open, and then she was just like, don't ever just like have this feeling where you just want to like stab somebody in the leg or something, just like see, <laughs> like, and I'm like, oh my, like we were all like, oh my gosh, like, <laughs> like this is a real feeling, like people, like it was just a sudden bond that this was something that you know we've all thought about before, um, and so yeah, I mean, other than that, like other than what I think is probably somewhat natural. Um, no, not, no, I don't feel abusive at all. Um, no. What are some of the tools that you've ad- adapted to try to heal from your childhood? Um, some tools that I've used to adapt to heal. Um, 
I don't know, uh, probably, probably, um, you know, going outdoors, things like that, just um, bonding with nature, uh, probably. You know, like, going on walks is very freeing, like, doing the hitchhiking thing, is a, that's really helped me a lot in a lot of ways. Um, I don't like the whole, like, sleeping on concrete thing. The actual traveling of it is very nice. Uh, helps me think and, you know, gives me a lot of time and to understand a little bit better. Just trying to be more focused on just a better future has really helped me a lot to just let things go and just try to, like, you know, continue to let things go. And I think, too, like, just, like, not being scared to mention something to somebody and just talk about them. Even in the middle, of, I don't think it's the best in the middle of a fight to bring things up. And that's probably the worst time, but to, you know, if you can find, you know, it's hard sometimes when you want to, like, talk about stuff, but, like, you never really find a moment because, like, the moments are either filled with, like, good good moments and you're like, oh, I don't really want to, like, bring this up in this moment where it's nice and things are good. And then when it does come up, you're, like, you're already in, like, a frustrated state. So, like, you're just adding, you know, more frustration to both parties. And in that case, like, with my mom or whatever, where I would bring something up, Whenever I was upset, you know, it would be like, well, why are you bringing this up? You're bringing this up for attention. You're bringing this up just because, like, you're just trying to manipulate or whatever. And so I think, like, you know, that has been difficult. But I feel like if you can talk things through, I think that's probably the best solution is to just talk to whoever it is that, you know, hurt you or whatever. Like, for me, I am just pretty straight up with, like, the fact that my family has helped me to some degree but then I feel like they treat me like it's an obligation so like you know I'll say like we'll talk about this stuff and I like I say earlier we're like you know get kind of blamed to where it's like you know you're just kind of saying this or whatever but I'm like I'm I just feel this and just want to talk about this I think a lot of times people just get defensive so I think that the best thing is to just try to figure out a way to talk about it because I I feel like that's what really helps to move on and help helps you like get it off your chest. Well, if I may, I I have a friend who's been studying nonviolent communication for many decades. Um, that's been very helpful for her. She actually teaches it and mm-hmm. gives workshops on it. It's helpful to model healthy communication with other people, but it's also difficult when both sides don't have the same tools to use, but it could be a start. So I'd like to offer that as a suggestion. Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, I think exactly that's right. I mean, I think the tools, not having the same tools and not being on the same psychology playing field can definitely cause some issues sometimes, like, well, people will think like you're like you'll mention things and and how the brain works and people will just kind of take that as like you're above somebody or whatever you're you're trying to like say that you know more about the human state and it's like well you know maybe I might know like some more about the human state and then you know it gets to be like oh you're 25 you know everything or whatever or whatever age and um, oh you just don't know it all and uh, sometimes that can be harder with like a you know an adult, or an older adult, or an elder, um, quote unquote. You know something like that where like you know you have somebody that's older than you, and that's the person that you need to have the conversation with. And then like all of a sudden you're just a know it all. You're just you know you're just you're just a young kid, but you know everything. And it's like well like in some cases you can know some more. I mean like I don't think that you necessarily have always studied psychology. Or for me I've studied it for for business mostly, but that's led me a lot to read other things about you know childhood development and things like that because these root things are involved in so much more than just you know, just the childhood development aspect or just having a, you know, the specialty for this to be a psychologist or something. Like to read this stuff about the brain, the way the brain works is very important in like a career standpoint or just a life in general standpoint. I mean, the power that persuasion can give you or, you know, just better communication skills can give you is immense. I mean, it can totally change your life. 
And so for me, I've been studying this since I was like, you know, a business owner. Since 16, I've been studying, um, you know, human psychology the best I could and really don't just read anything. I read everything that's like recommended by schools or recommended by like, you know, even top tier Ivy League schools or watch, you know, seminars or, or, or classes um, through those schools that are recorded sometimes or whatever I can get my hands on that's a higher level of learning. Um, so sometimes, you know, you bring, but you bring these things up and you upset people because you get out of rapport because they feel like you're acting like you know more than them and it can be an insult to them. Here's a suggestion. I struggle with this as well with the podcast and teaching feminism. Going back to the tagline of decolonizing hearts and minds one story at a time, that may be received as also potentially arrogant or paternalistic. And so what I like to use as an analogy is we all are in different points where there's light shining and you may actually, what you're doing is you're just taking the the light and shining it so that their perspective is different. They may actually see, see something in darkness and you're shining a light on it. So it's not that you know more, you just have seen the things from a different perspective and now you're trying to share that. Yeah, and totally, I mean... Yeah, and I just, it's like, you know, have, trying to like tell somebody, you know, something that you've noticed or whatever. It's tricky because like people take it different, you know, people take something differently. And um, I think that's the challenge is like being like, look, I'm not trying to tell you like how you should live or how whatever, but this is just like a thing. Like it's in all of us. Like this is just, you know, kind of like a fact of life, you know, and I, I'm not a know-it-all, but like I just get knowledge from people that know more than me. And I just want to share that with you or whatever. Yeah, I mean, it can be a, a challenge. But I think, like you said, I mean, maybe if you can even explain it to the way you just did to somebody. But I want to just, you know, there's something that I want to share with you. And I want to shine a light on something. And you may or may not know it. Um, but, like, you know, can I have the the room to say this you know can you like not judge me on saying this like and i think i feel like maybe you can go farther like that too like entering a conversation in that way being like you know i want to say something about like well i really appreciate you taking the time to share with me all of these experiences that you've had some very difficult ones and i know that our listeners will find it very very helpful and hopefully be able to start their own journey in healing like you have yeah i I thank you for having me and um i mean it's been an interesting conversation um and yeah i hope it does help people that may be struggling with the same things or or similar things or um, just in any point of time um i think you know it's important just to it's really important i think just to focus on yourself that's what i think i'm learning uh more as i as i try not to worry about um like there's like a practice uh, there's actually a really good book it says uh don't worry start living i think by dale carnegie and um very good i I read a lot and i think um you know that's another thing i think reading and just starting to try to learn knowledge and not necessarily reading fiction or whatever to escape your world but instead to read to understand your world i think is um something that should be done more and I think that's a path to healing too is to start accumulating knowledge so that you can understand the fundamentals of why you feel certain ways and um, why society is a certain way and so I think that that's a big a big path to that it's it's important to um, just you know I think it's important to talk things over like even though like I worry you know, uh, uh, my family would hear this. They'd get upset with me. I'm sure they would. They are very private. I don't think they like to share things. But at the end of the day, as it, as much as it is their journey, it was part of my journey too. And the effects that they had might have been more difficult in the moments, but they've also affected us as a whole and have affected us in other ways um, that you know have affected me even if i'm not the direct victim in some cases um and i think you know it's important to talk some of that stuff out and to just let it air out as they would say yeah i mean again thank you for having me and um yeah i think uh one thing as well is uh the nonprofit. i guess we could talk about right uh the uh, the nonprofit that i'm starting is called the tech society and um, we're a nonprofit organization um enabling 
technology careers through free paid training for those in the most difficult situations by providing an open source community of housing and workspace. And um, the, the ones in the most difficult situations are people such as homeless people or people coming out of prison um, for potentially, not hopefully nonviolent. I mean, we won't accept anybody that's been a domestic abuser in the past, but we will accept people that have been victims of domestic abuse. That is one of the things, and we'll help them find housing and train them in technology and uh, help them on a path to find a, a better life because I truly believe that technology can set us free and it can allow us to choose what we want to do in our lives uh, today, particularly in a modern environment. And so, yeah, that's the nonprofit. And um, it's, you know, so if anybody is also running a nonprofit, we build nonprofit um websites and things like that for people for free um so you know very awesome um moving in a direction that i'm very excited for a little bit nervous for because i, I kind of got myself in over a little in over my head uh when i started the nonprofit. i didn't really study it enough i've helped manage other nonprofits, but having one owning one on your own is quite different um, because a lot of legal stuff, so a lot of learning. Is there a website you can share with yeah, me? Yeah, it will be uh, thetechsociety.xyz, um, and you can read about um, our mission. It should be posted tomorrow of uh, kind of more of like reading about what, what my vision is and where we're going, um, and that will be at Tech Dedicated. Um, and then you will just see a blog list there that you can find. The Tech Society is the blog that you're going to want to read if you want to read more about that. Great. Well, thank you, Hunter. And thank I wish you, you the best. Thank you for having me on. Thanks for listening to this episode of Engendered. The show is sponsored by Can Do It Q&A, a peer-based knowledge platform that connects social service providers in advice, community, and learning. You can join Can Do It Q&A for free at Q&A dot k-a-n-d-u-i-t dot com I'd love to get your feedback and hear any questions or suggestions you may have for the show please email us at engenderedpodcast at gmail dot com with your questions